This is The Long Cut, a podcast by Booster Stage. I'm your host, Ryan, and I'm on a journey to look behind the curtain of the overnight success. On this show, we talk with founders, business owners, entrepreneurs, and innovators who have successfully launched, built, grown, and sometimes exited SaaS businesses that solved a problem. Ready? Let's get started. Today on The Long Cut, I caught up with Brennan Dunn. Brennan is the founder of Right Message, and he's kind of a marketing renaissance man. Brennan has helped thousands of entrepreneurs through his Double Your Freelancing program to raise their freelance rates and sell more effectively. I was really interested in Brennan's story because of the way that he went about creating Right Message and validating that the idea was going to work. Right Message definitely looks like one of those overnight successes. It just launched in February of 2018, and here we are in July, and it looks like it's just a steamroller creating a new market where there wasn't even a product in this category before. But as you're going to hear, that's, as usual, not the case. There was a long history of validation that went into Right Message. Brennan has done years of work leading up to Right Message, from creating targeted marketing campaigns for clients to teaching other entrepreneurs how to effectively market their service and charge what their work is really worth. As you'll hear, that experience, that early work that Brennan did in his career, plays into the validation for Right Message. I think it's worth pointing out that Brennan didn't go directly from figuring out what the problem was to solving the problem to, hey, let's build a SaaS that we can sell that'll solve this problem for others. Actually, he went through several steps of validation. Each step along the way was validated a little bit differently. The main goal was to discover what was the actual problem and what was the right solution for that problem. This is really important, and I think it's something that a lot of entrepreneurs, even I have missed in validating our own product. We tend to think that because we've figured out how to fix a particular problem, that we're going to be able to sell that fix, that solution, to customers. And actually, that's not always the case, especially if you're creating a product that's creating a category that didn't already exist. I want you to listen for the four levels of validation that Brennan went through when he was validating right message. Brennan also talks about pre-selling the product. This is something that I'm a huge proponent of. I love counseling startup founders to pre-sell their product. The reason is because it gives you that confidence that somebody out there is willing to pay actual money for what you're building. Brennan pre-sold right message to 10 early adopter customers. And he gave them special pricing as an incentive, but it wasn't cheap. So I want you to listen for that and think about how that could be applied in your next business. Finally, listen for the nugget about direct sales. Direct sales is something that a lot of SaaS founders try to avoid. In fact, it's kind of the appeal of SaaS in some ways. We can just build a product, put up the landing page, have an automated sign-up form, and sit back and let people sign up and use our product. 
but in reality, it doesn't actually usually work that way. Most successful businesses, even SaaS businesses, have some component of direct sales. It's not something to shy away from, especially in the early days of your business. Direct sales can even help you get a better understanding of your customer and the value that you're creating for them. So it's definitely not something that we should shy away from. In fact, it's something that we really need to learn to embrace. The reality is there's so much competition on the web for eyeballs and for attention. Even if there are people who are searching for your product on Google, it might not be enough to really move the needle for your business. And even if there is a large search volume for your keywords, that probably indicates that there's a lot of competition for those keywords. So relying on SEO, especially when you're first getting started, may not actually move the needle. You're going to need to put your walking shoes on and actually get out there and talk to some customers or get on the phone or do LinkedIn outreach or build your email list or all of the above, most likely. Selling is hard, but it's a core competency that you need to develop in your business. So without further ado, I want to introduce you to Brennan Dunn. I think you're going to really enjoy this interview. Brennan is co-founder of Write Message, but he's also sort of a serial entrepreneur. Brennan has founded PlanScope, a project management tool, and Double Your Freelancing, a course designed to help freelancers raise their rates and charge what they're worth. Brennan, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Ryan. So I'm really interested in, in kind of digging into the backstory behind Write Message and PlanScope and Double Your Freelancing, but... I know a little bit about you, but I bet you there's some of our listeners who probably this is their first time listening to you. So tell us a little bit about who you are and how you got into what you're doing today. I'm the co-founder of Write Message, which is a website personalization uh, suite of tools that make it easy to uh, basically niche your website on the fly. But I'm also the founder of W Freelancing, which is a community of 50,000 plus uh, freelancers and agencies. We have courses and used to have conferences and a lot of other good things. But yeah, I mean, in a past life, I started and sold a company called PlanScope, project management tool. And I also started a agency back in 2008. And if we really want to go back in time and, and see where everything started, uh, around 2004, 2005, uh, right out of college, I'd started a, uh, a company that did lead generation, very targeted lead generation for mortgage brokers and real estate agents. So I ended up uh, becoming a freelancer and then starting my own agency, this is back in 2008, and uh, that got to 11 employees. And I learned a lot in the process. So I learned, you know, how do you sell, consistently sell high value consulting? How do you manage client projects? How do you market yourself as a consulting business? And company did well. I mean, it, it did well enough. But again, I, I was following people like Amy Hoy and others who were building software companies and they had a lot of people paying them a little bit of money instead of what I had, which was, you know, three clients and you get at any given time paying us a lot of money, which was in my mind, super risky, stressful, because we had to always make sure we had, you know, that next project lined up and so on. So I actually ended up getting out of the agency to start a company called PlanScope. So it's my first, you know, I built software for clients for a while, but this is my first time building uh, and trying to sell software on my own. So what it was is it's you know, kind of the typical agency owner gets frustrated at all the available tools, decides to build his own. So project management software for freelancers and agencies. The reason it was primarily for freelancers was I it was easier to find freelancers 
than it was agencies. So freelancers Googled stuff. Agencies didn't typically Google, like, how do you raise your agency rate? But freelancers would Google, how do you raise your freelancing rate? So you were kind of scratching your own itch with, uh, with PlanScope at that point. Exactly. Yep. So it was, it was a tool I wanted, but it was also, I just thought, you know, I mean, this is something that checked all the boxes. It's a B2B product. It, uh, I kind of know that audience because I had that need myself. I did a little validation, but it wasn't much in retrospect. It was more just like looking at um, online forums and noticing that people were kind of struggling to communicate updates with their clients in a way that was correlating the work they were doing with what they were getting paid. So there would be this disconnect between, say, using a project management tool and then the invoice they sent and the client would all often be like, well, what went, how did the money that you're billing me here, how did that come to be? So I wanted it to be really just something that was something that I, I kind of knew about. And in my mind, it, you know, the good thing about freelancers and such is they, they live online, whereas some other target audiences like restaurant owners aren't always hanging out on the internet, Googling for stuff. So it, it made sense, but the problem was I entered a very competitive space project management. And that's when I realized I having the product wasn't enough. I had to find a way to get people to use it. So that's, I started writing content. I started creating blogging, hoping that if I wrote about things that really weren't project management related, like how do you get clients and how do you write proposals and so on, that people would Google for that. They'd read the content, they'd like it. Uh, and then maybe they'd check out PlanScope because it would be on the PlanScope blog. So that's actually, surprisingly enough, that's where Double Your Freelancing came from was the content marketing arm of PlanScope that ended up doing better than PlanScope itself. Interesting. So how did that work as far as like actually driving traffic to PlanScope? Did that do what you hoped it would do? I mean, it, it did in the sense that we got traffic, but the thing that I didn't get at the time, which I, I, I think I understand now, was that if I'm Googling for how do I charge my clients more? And then the call to action at the end of the article is a project management tool that there's a disconnect, right? I'm not looking, I'm not looking for software, yet I'm being promoted software. So they're looking for the solution to a different problem, but you're trying to sell them kind of almost like a vitamin that's going to just make their, it's going to be an extra expense that they're going to have to pay for. Plus they're going to have, uh, you know, to do more work to, to learn your project management tool. And they, 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 really they don't do see that they have a project management problem. Right? Yeah. I mean, okay. I see. That's the thing. So I see that disconnect. Yeah. So what did, did what did you do? Did you like redirect your content, or it sounds like you just you doubled down on actually developing content? Yeah. So what I realized was okay. The the promoting software when they're looking for training wasn't helping. So I ended up swapping out the call to action with a five day email course. Um, it was called Five Days to Better Freelancing, and I thought, well, let's let's get them on my list, and then I'll sell them software later. So I did this and I just went deeper into the, like, here's everything I would do to, if I were starting right now to build a better, to build a successful from the get-go freelancing company or freelancing business for myself. So um, I did that and it, a lot of people liked it and they wanted more information. And a friend of mine actually said, well, why don't you do, you know, you get a lot of the same questions about specifically about pricing and pitching clients. And you've written a lot about that. Why not make it a book? And, you know, that way you can generate some revenue with the content stuff since you're not getting, you're getting some, but you're not getting much when it comes to PlanScope revenue. So I did that and it actually worked really, really better than I ever thought. 
and it was double your freelancing rate back then. It was a book. Now it's a course, but I forgot the exact, it, it did like, you know, 4,000 or something in pre-orders, which for me was very impressive just because I, I was like, wow, I made $4,000 selling a, uh, effectively a PDF to people I don't know and didn't ask to buy. Like I, I sent them a bulk email, but I, there was no, like I was used to high touch one-on-one sales. This was totally different. Yeah, that is pretty impressive, though. I mean, and one of the things I always try to counsel people is, is really the only effective, the only true form of validation that really matters is money. Because when it comes down to it, whether somebody likes your product or likes the idea of your product is kind of irrelevant. Because what happens when you ask them to pull out their credit card is the ultimate validation. If they just, if they bulk, then why are they bulking? Why aren't they paying for your product? But if they pay for it, then you're you might be onto something. And for you to have had $4,000 worth of sales on your first book, that's huge. That's amazing validation. So I can imagine, I can see why you would have put more eggs in that basket. Yeah. And it was really, I mean, it was really interesting because it, I was, I, I felt that I was closer to the results than I was with software. So, you know, if you use PlanScope and it happens to make your business more streamlined and you get really happy clients and so on. You, you don't necessarily correlate that result with the software. Whereas if I teach you how to sell differently and then the next lead you get, you sell them differently and it works, there's a direct connection there, right? So we started to get a lot of, or I should say I started, there was no way at the time uh, to get a lot of more success stories and, and testimonials and such and people wanting more. So they, you know, a lot of people, the next big thing that kept coming up was, well, I know you started an agency, you bootstrapped one. I'm looking to do the same. What can I learn from you about that? So that turned into a workshop. It's called the Consultancy Masterclass. And it basically, you know, still 25 seats at a time for $1,000 each. And that basically was like a, at the time, a year of what PlanScope did on its own. Um, so PlanScope wasn't paying the bills, but it did, you know, a few thousand a month. And then in one for one two-day workshop, it was basically the same revenue as PlanScope for a year. So I was like, okay, well, this is, this is interesting, right? So I, I might be something there. Yeah. So I kept doing that and I kept really just keeping my ear to the ground and listening to what people wanted and then responding to that in the form of a product or a conference. So I did a few conferences, uh, I think three in the U S two in Europe and podcasts and, you know, so on. And, and it kind of ballooned in this community of people who are, more or less freelancers who want to better understand the business side of things. So they've realized that by marketing themselves and pitching themselves as just a designer and developer wasn't really working. Um, they wanted to be more of a uh, consultant who happened to do design implementation services. That's double your freelancing. And then it, it just turned into this really successful company that was helping a lot of people. Uh, we crossed 10,000 total customers over, I think last year. So we're growing and it's doing well and it, has a lot of success behind it, but you could say I still have that itch for software. <laughs> I still, you know, it, it became a little too easy to just respond to what people wanted and then do the research and put together the material and that be it. Um, I wanted something a bit more challenging. I wanted something that wasn't, that could, that could really scale in a way that double your freelancing I knew never would. So double your freelancing is, is still a thing. It's still like, you're, it's still your company. Yeah, it's what pays, it's what affords the lifestyle, yeah. I mean, it, it's mostly, it's got a skeleton crew maintaining it, but there's a ton of automation and a lot of inbound channels that bring in new leads on a daily basis. 
Um, so it's pretty much a very well-oiled machine that just works on its own. So what does the organization look like? Do you have a CEO, like a COO, somebody who operates the buttons and dials on a daily basis? Oh, no, it's, it's a lot simpler. It's, um, it's myself, an absentee landlord, a full-time virtual assistant who manages customer support. And then uh, occasionally there's a, somebody who helps with development and then somebody else helps with design. Um, but they're, it's more of a contract or project basis. Um, no, but it's, it's, I mean, it does, it does very well. And it, again, it just really just does it on its own because there's automation in place. I mean, every, even the weekly newsletter is simulated based off behavior and, you know, like it's, it just does, it's like, if you think about it for a info product company or a training business, they do this model of send out a lot of educational email and then every few months do big pitches and so on. There's no reason that needs to be done live. And it's actually, I would argue, to the detriment of the person on the receiving end, because if I join your list yesterday and then the next day, there's this big pitch for this course you released or you're promoting, that doesn't align. Like, I, I just met you, right? So now there's really, in, in, on WR Freelancing, there's pitches happening weekly. They're fully automated. They're based off triggered behavior. They're based off... I'm, I'm do a heavy amount of segmentation, both explicit, so surveying and so on, and automated. So, you know, do they come from a web design blog? Okay, they're probably a web designer. I'm going to treat them as such. And yeah, so there's just a ton of that. And it just runs mostly on autopilot. I mean, it's, it's, it's a dream everyone wants, right? Like a business that does exceptionally well, that's pretty much fully automated with pretty much like the average input from my end is like 10 or 20 minutes a week. Yeah, I think I, I just looked up the entrepreneurial dream in the dictionary, and I, I think uh, pretty much described just what you described is just the, <laughs> this amazing business that, that operates almost on autopilot. So all of that automation kind of plays into what you worked on next, doesn't it? It does. So I, you know, my background is in software development. So I, and also sales, right? So selling consulting for this agency and so on. And I, I realized that somewhere along the way that I could effectively do a lot that it wouldn't be that hard to say if a web developer is reading this product page, let's have it talk web developery and maybe show testimonials from other web developers. And then if a second later, a designer is viewing that same page, maybe have a talk designery. And that those concepts were kind of always floating around even way back in 2011 um, or 2012, I think it was. Yeah. I had released a WordPress plugin that I was using on the PlanScope blog that would make it so if you're anonymous, there's an opt-in. If you're on my list, it would promote this. If you bought that, it would promote something else and so on. Um, so I was always kind of messing around with stuff like that. And then um, with WR Freelancing, though, specifically, I remember you know I got an email from a copywriter saying, heard good things about your product, looking at the sales page, looks like it targets developers and designers. Can this help me? And I was able to rescue the sale, but I mean, how many other people didn't email that in and instead said, well, this can't help me. I don't see people like me. I don't see language that appeals to me. I'm going to close a tab. So I started doing experiments where I would just make it so it would basically rewrite parts of the sales page and rewrite parts of the whole website based on either where you are in my sales funnel. Like, so what have you bought and haven't bought? along with what, what kind of work do you do? How big is your team? Are you solo? Are you an agency? Have you not started yet? And I would just tweak and change things based off that. And that's when I started seeing really big upward movement in terms of results. 
But these people were ask, basically asking you for something more automated, weren't they? Yeah. I mean, well, if you think about it, there was a few, a few different forms of validation. The first was people who said, I have no idea how to do this. I don't have the resources to do this. I'm going to pay you to do it all for me. These were all, you know, basically you know, 10, 20,000 plus dollar uh, contracts that I'd spend a little time. I'd give them what they want. And it would basically be like me taking the code I used on my site and tweaking it for them and putting it on their site. So I got financial validation where people were willing to pay a lot of money for the promise of what this could deliver. And then there came the validation of people saying, I want to learn how to do this myself. I don't want to pay you to do it for me, but I want to learn conceptually how to do this. And so validation came through the course sale. So if you think about it, the, the first form of validation came from selling consulting that pointed to the same end goal. And then the next stage was selling a product, a training product that didn't really include the implementation, didn't include any you know, high touch anything, but that also pointed to that same end goal, which was more personalized content equals more sales. And then, so those two forms of validation went into saying, well, what if we could find that middle ground of making it more turnkey where we're not doing it all for them, but we're providing them an easy to use tool where they can point and click on things and say, you know, click on the headline, change to X, Y, and Z, and then change it when they are a customer or something like that. So that's where right message as a software product emerged from. It emerged from all that previous validation that, um, you know, at first I could have gone and said, this works fine on my site. I'm going to now build a SaaS. But no, I went with this works fine on my site. I want to test it on other companies to see if it works fine and for them. Okay, it does. Now I want to test it on a bigger, in a bigger way by making a self-serve video course that would teach people the concepts. Okay, people are resonating with this. They're liking it. Now let's find a way to basically find that middle ground of really turnkey implementation. So that's, that was kind of that, that process that led to right messages a thing. And we got 10 people, 10 customers, early access customers who bought right message before it existed. And we used them to really define out. And we already really knew what had to be built because we'd done this individually, right? Like we, or I should say I did this individually. We, you know, my co-founder and I have right message. We, we knew effectively what had to be built. We didn't really know though how people would align, how people would come up with what they needed and and apply it to our software. So that's what we didn't know how to onboard. We didn't know how to, you know, do any of this these different things. And that's what was so important for us to sell these ten people first, really build a product with them, so that when we launched this in January, so we launched January twenty third of twenty eighteen, we had a fairly good idea of how do we how do we go about onboarding? How do we go about creating more turnkey in-app in recipes that you go to your dashboard and there's a bunch of recipes that you can use off the shelf. Well, these came directly from the learning that came from working closely with these 10 customers. Um, so yeah, that, that was kind of how we kind of got to where we are now, I guess. That's really interesting. I think there's a lot of, uh, I've, I give that advice a lot to people, which is to um, try to pre-sell your product. And it, there's a lot of pushback uh, sometimes because well, I think a lot of people think that pre-selling your product is kind of equivalent to selling vaporware. And I don't, maybe not too many people were doing software in the nineties, but vaporware was a big thing in the nineties. <laughs> companies were, this was, there were a couple of notorious companies that would like promise this software and then they would take your money and go and pretend to build it. And then they wouldn't 
ever deliver on it. And so vaporware got a really bad name. And vaporware is literally where you just never are going to get the software that you paid for. But that's not what this is at all. This is actually pledging a few first customers to help you build the software with you. And what you did, it sounds like you were really upfront with them. And you said, look, we're going to build this specifically, basically for you. And you're going to help us create the features that we're going to that we're going to make and when we're done it's going to be something that you can use and i think that's that's a really interesting approach so did you actually go out and like target 10 customers or did you have a quota did you did you need to get 10 in order to feel like that was i just thought 10 sounded good we we had built up a, an email list so what we did initially was we had a very simple landing page on our domain no no screenshots nothing because we didn't have anything it was effectively a sales letter that had on the right sidebar, a few dropdowns where you could change like your, you know, your email marketing app, or you could change the kind of company you ran uh, and, and change. Like it was like four different options that as you would change this, it would just update the sales letter in real time to be more specific to you. So you could say, I use MailChimp, I'm a software company and I forgot the other things we asked, but it would change, you know, how to improve, how to personalize your software company's website or something like that. Right. And that got a lot of, we didn't really promote that outside of our own networks on Twitter and social media and so on. And we, I think we got about a thousand ish people pretty quickly to be on that list. And we basically just told, we emailed the list weekly with educational stuff to, because we knew we had to, people weren't switching from another tool to us. And this is a big thing. And I'm, I'm jealous of, I'm not, I don't know if jealous is the right word, but I, I'm sometimes envious of companies that, are entering an existing marketplace because you don't really need to educate somebody. Like nowadays, if you build an email marketing app, you don't need to educate people that they should be email marketing, right? Like they, they pretty much people know this. So if you can come and say, we're a more niched email marketing app, or we have this different functionality or something like that, you can then, you, you don't need to teach them and say, you need an email market and then you need to use our software to do it. You don't need to do both of those. You just kind of effectively sell the software. I know what you mean, but I mean, when I first saw Write Message, I think I saw the homepage, it clicked in my mind. The way you explained it was very articulate. So it clicked in my mind right away. So I think- You're unique. <laughs> oh, really? Okay. Yeah, there's a lot of people who just, do, and which is which is okay because, you know, we, we realized we had to, we had to figure out how do we, how do we get people to understand the potential? How do we get people to understand the problem and, you know, we, we had to make people problem aware before we could make them product aware, right? Gotcha. So that's what we did. And, and we did that through emailing a lot, basically just educational content to the list. We didn't have a site outside of that single page landing page. And then I, I we just asked the list. We said, hey, we need 10 people, pay us 600 bucks. Uh, that'll be uh, for, you know, first year of access, flat rate. If you're interested, let, let me know, reply. There was no like sales page or anything. It was just reply. <laughs> we got at 10 people. Um, and that that's how we got our first uh, 6,000 in revenue, but also our first 10 customers. Awesome. So you so you gave them a, a special deal. Was it was it intended to be a discount or had you thought about pricing it at all at this point? Not really. We just knew it would be more than 600 a year. <laughs> so, so that seems safe. Okay. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, it was just, that's, that's all it was. And they haven't renewed yet because they'll renew uh, probably this autumn, I believe, is because we did it like September-ish or so. But they're they're officially locked in at six hundred a year. Okay, so that oh, so they're locked in at that price. So that so you gave them kind of a promise of yeah, like, like you'll pay six hundred a year forever. So there's some incentive to sign up early. Yep, exactly. 
So how did you go about building, building the actual software? Because I, I, you're a pretty technical guy, but I know that you went out and found a co-founder. Um, so tell me how that process worked. How did you decide that you needed a co-founder and you didn't want to do the coding yourself? Or did you decide that? And how did you end up partnering with Shai? Was it kind of serendipity or uh, luck? Or did you actually go out and look for him? So I'm a very mediocre developer. <laughs> I'm not, I'm, I'm not a, I'm a, I can write code, but it's, I, I'm more of a, let's ship something and hope it works. Whereas one interesting thing about Shai, which I really like is that he's more of a, let's do it right. Let's really make sure that this is, so we, we haven't had, for instance, like we've, we haven't had any bugs that have been major in any way with the software, which is great. And that would not have happened if I was building. That's pretty amazing, actually. Yeah, he's just, he's very thorough. I'm not that thorough when it comes to, I'm, I'm a marketer. I, I want to throw stuff against the wall and see if it works. And then, so whether it's marketing material or, or code, you know, I, I want to very quickly iterate, whereas he's more methodical, which is a good thing. I think it's a very good balance with us. But with, with so I had known him because he had attended my conferences. Uh, he had done some work for us uh, for W Freelancing, uh, really quality uh, development work. And I knew that I didn't want, um, I wanted this to be something that, because I, I, I know companies that have, you know, whether it's like a non-technical founder or something like that, who have outsourced their development and they're still recuperating years later, like in terms of just the, you know, having some like third party who's not vested in the success of it or whatever, just throw stuff together, not really have good solid, you know, testing or anything else in place. Um, I don't, I didn't want that. And I, I just, you know, I, I liked, I like shy and he's always been very good, you know, when it comes to helping me with my other business on a, on a friend level too, and all, all those good things. So yeah, I just decided, you know what, I want to, this is going to be probably the most ambitious project I've, I've worked on so far. And I want to make sure that I get things right, you know, out the gate. Maybe this is too far, too far out there, but what do you think you would have done if you hadn't known shy i'm not sure i mean i like there's there's always the option of i could have just hired a first developer and tried to architect the product but also sell the product with you know that person i could have outsourced it to an agency which would have been a nightmare probably but that that, that could have been a you know possible or a freelancer i mean or i could have taken a stab at trying to i mean with planscope i, I was always selling it and supporting it and and building it myself which i always felt to be thought to be really difficult to go from like a marketing mindset to oh this support ticket just came in there's this crazy bug that needs to be fixed asap and then i need to drop what i'm you know drop that frame of mind and now go and open up the code editor and you know hope i can fix it so i actually don't have i don't even have commit rights now for the product which i'm perfectly fine with. i don't <laughs> want that. probably a good thing right yeah exactly <laughs> What advice would you have for for people who are thinking of starting a SaaS business or a business that has a SaaS involved, but they're stuck because they don't have the technical skills that they think they need? Might be contrarian advice, but I wouldn't start with the SaaS. I think SaaS is really hard to get to replace income. I would start by if you think of things in terms of a spectrum, and you want to solve problems on that spectrum, right? So, you know, my problem I wanted to solve was letting people have that kind of middle ground between high touch personalized selling and low touch generics sales, which is what most websites are. 
So that middle ground for me was initially to very high value consulting gigs where I'm basically prototyping the product through consulting. And then I'm teaching the framework, the, the theoretical framework of this product through a course, which also brought in a lot of revenue. And then from there, once I've got all the, once I've built up an audience, people who are aware of the, you know, the thing, they, they like my philosophy when it comes to how I go about doing this. I validated this financially time and time again. That's when, you know, you break ground on the SaaS. So I would start with like, if let's say you want to do some like marketing analytics SaaS or something like that, I would try to do that manually as a productized service at first, get some customers, get the validation of them paying you financially for the outcome. Do that a few times, build up some processes and systems for how you do that. And then over time, codify that into software. Eventually that can become self-service software. So that's what I would do. I think it's very risky, especially if you don't have an audience, you don't have a track record of, of having done this stuff to, to start with SaaS, um, because more often than not, it ends up, you know, you, you, there's a very, there's a lot of well-intentioned developers who, um, or even, you know, business types. So you mentioned non-developers, um, regardless, who think they're going to go and build a product, but they don't actually have a, a plan of action for, you know, sales and marketing. A lot of them don't want to, they want the dream of like waking up to money, but they don't actually want to ever do any sort of direct sales, which, I mean, the first hundred customers of RightMessage and beyond even, I mean, we're still doing it, came from direct sales, not from people randomly stumbling upon the website, plugging in their credit card and buying. It came from getting on on calls and sharing my screen and doing a lot of that, which you need to be comfortable with that. Um, and I think that just comes from realizing that it's, it's extremely com competitive and you've got a lot going against you. There's adoption overhead. There's, you know, cost of switching. There's all these different things that are beyond whatever you're, you're charging. And I think a lot of us don't really take that into account when thinking, you know, how are we going to make this a compelling product that people will buy? I hear you. I think that uh, there's so many different kinds of MVP. I think that so many, a lot of entrepreneurs just jump right into building something um, without really having an idea of what the process is going to be like. And I'm guilty of this myself. I've, I've built more than one product where I had an idea, I started building it and then realized, oh, maybe I should try to find a market for this. Yeah. Yeah. And that's totally the backwards way to do it. It may, it might've worked a few years ago. I think like with, when I did my first product, Donor Tools, uh, I built the product because I, I perceived a need and then I started selling it and I actually got some customers pretty quickly, but that was in 2008 before there were that many SaaS uh, apps out there. And it was a lot easier to to reach people with a SaaS app because they didn't know that there was such a thing. Uh, there were not as many competitors and it was so many times better than their desktop apps that they were using. So I could come in and say, hey, it's like your desktop app, but it's 10 times better uh, and it's cheaper. And um, it was a lot easier to do sales in those days. These days, it's very hard to, to break into a new market or into an existing market. So doing sales, having that process is just so important. Yeah, exactly. And I think, um, and I think the other big thing that I would uh, encourage people to think about is that very few people are probably, for instance, searching for software that does what your software does. So one of the things you should be thinking about is how do I meet people where they are now and, and prepare them, nurture them, condition them to be a customer. So that's something that we're doing because like on our case with right message, no one's searching for website personalization software. It's like 
100 people a month, maybe total <laughs> on Google. What, what, the, what we're doing though is we're finding companies that fit the profile firmographically of our ideal customer. We're meeting them where they are right now. So these are people who run online businesses, generate leads, sell stuff online, whatever. And then over time, we're using automation and a lot of it to condition them to be ready to be one of our customers. So we're realizing that if, if you're just reacting to like, oh, I sell project management software for zookeepers, I'm going to only you know wait for people to Google zookeeper project management software. That's typically going to be a very uphill battle. Do you have an, like an ideal customer profile for right message? We do. Yeah. So we have a, we, we break it down into four. The good thing about right message is we can, our website changes entirely depending on what persona you're in, but we have really four different types we focus on holistically. And then we have a few that we're really lasering in on right now. So one of them is software companies. Uh, the other is info product companies or training companies, uh, services companies. They tend to be using us for their clients, not for them. And then um, the final is e-commerce, which we're still kind of struggling to break into that right now. But the things that are working well for us are people with kind of this audience-based business where you have a blog. People go to the blog, they opt in your, you know, they join your list or they download a lead magnet or an email course or something like that. And then as you create new content, you send them back to your blog to read the new content. And then, um, you know, you pitch like a product every few months or something like that. So with them, what we're doing is we're making it so, you know, anonymous people will see the opt-in, subscribers see the entry-level product, and then people who bought that entry-level product see the next product in the in the funnel or something like that. That's one. The other one that's actually we're really focused on right now is um, companies that do a high amount of, of uh, paid acquisition. So they drive, uh, you know, paid traffic to landing pages. Well, a lot of them drive you know, they have a lot of ads and then they drive them all to a single landing page. And what we're letting them do is we're letting them to do things like if the ad is targeting, I don't know, like marketers or something, then make it so when they come to the landing page, the, the testimonial they see on that is going to be from a marketer. And then if the ad copy says like X, Y, and Z on it, make it so the headline on the landing page is X, Y, and Z. So then there could be potentially hundreds of different variations on this, different targeting different ad creatives and so on. And we're making it so using right message, they can have a very, you know, very one-off landing page that mixes and matches different criteria. And we're seeing, I mean, like that's our big focus because we're going after companies that are spending thousands a month and we're getting results. Like we had one today where somebody is spending $2 uh, or uh, two euro, I should say two euro, a, a conversion. And now they're spending 0.7 euro, 70 cents, that's the thing in your, yeah, with the euro. Um, so basically they, they, they more than have it, right? So we're basically saying like, hey, you're spending 10,000 a month on ads. We're seeing people get anywhere between 40 to 100 and something percent increases in ad performance. Wouldn't it be nice to spend, you know, you're spending 5,000 a month right now. Wouldn't it be nice to spend 5,000 a month next month, but have that be effectively the same as spending 10,000. So it basically, you know, you get 5,000 in free budget just for spending 30 minutes getting set up with our tool. So we're really focusing on that angle right now because that's that's actually, there's cash flow there. People are already spending thousands a month on, uh, you know, in this case, new customers, getting new customers. And if we can step in and say, let's boost that significantly, and we're, we're backing that with a guarantee, a money back guarantee and everything else, that's resonating really, really well for us. 
So Brendan, tell me about some people who inspired you when you were first starting up and who inspires you now? Yeah. So the good news is the people that inspired me back then are people who pretty much inspire me now. Um, so people like uh, the two, I would say, would be Amy Hoy and Patrick McKenzie. They both early on were the ones who were publicly writing or blogging about a lot of this back in the day. Since then, people like uh, Nathan Berry's been a huge. We both kind of started info product stuff at the same time, but he's done exceptionally well with ConvertKit. So learning a lot about how he's built that company through him, along with people like, uh, I really like people like Justin Jackson and some others blanking on other names at the moment. But there's a lot of people that I stay on top of and, and keep an eye on, but that'd be the list, I think. Brennan, tell us how people can find you online. Uh, a few different ways. So if you want to say hi, Brennan Dunn on Twitter, B-R-E-N-N-A-N-D-U-N-N is probably best. If you want to talk businessy things or whatever else, uh, Brennan at writemessage.com is my email and writemessage.com is, uh, is the company and wfreelancing.com is the uh, training company if you're a freelancer. Okay, kids, it's exam time. Did you catch the four phases of validation that Brennan went through with Write Message? I'll give you a second to think about what they are. Okay, time's up. They were step one, problem solution fit. He figured out that it works on his site. Then he, step two, tested it on clients' sites. The third stage was he created a self-serve video course, which sold really well. And finally, he sold, pre-sold, his turnkey implementation, that is the SaaS that's now right message. Each one of those stages had its own kind of level of validation, and each one was different. The moral of the story is that there's no one right way to validate your product idea. There's no such thing as a one-size-fits-all validation. Validation is a process that happens over and over as you build your business. I don't know about you, but I got a lot out of this interview with Brennan. I hope you did too. You've been listening to The Long Cut a podcast by Booster Stage. Music by The Long Cut. Used with permission. Check them out at thelongcut.com. If you haven't yet, be sure to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast in iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play. Join me next week for another conversation where we take a dive into the steps that it took to build an overnight success. Until then, be sure to visit thelongcut.fm and submit your questions. As always, I invite you to get in touch with me so I can help you on your own business journey. I promise I respond to every message I get. Thanks for listening.